Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sometimes being a bitch is all a woman's got to hold on to. Because sometimes the world makes you be a bitch. When it's all doom and dark outside, and only you inside to first make a light and then tend it, you have to be a bitch. Dolores Claiborne. No matter where you live, you cannot escape the news of the recent total solar eclipse that passed over the United States on August 21st, 2017, because the internet, the news services, and your great aunt May all went eclipse crazy. While everyone else was planning watch parties and hunting down safety glasses, I was thinking about horror novels, because of course. Stephen King's novels Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's Game are connected by the actual total solar eclipse over Maine on July 20th, 1963. These two novels were originally intended to be one large opus, much like King's major work The Stand, called In the Path of the Eclipse. 
I will link to NASA data on this eclipse in the website entry for this episode. I have to thank Bev Vincent for his help with the intertwined King bits this episode. I'm lucky enough to be friends with the go-to Stephen King facts guy. Bev is the author of The Road to the Dark Tower, the Bram Stoker Award-nominated companion to Stephen King's Dark Tower series, and of the Stephen King Illustrated Companion. He's also been a contributing editor of Cemetery Dance Magazine since 2001. He writes each issue's News from the Dead Zone column. I will link to all of his books and to Cemetery Dance Magazine and this episode's website entry. Thank you so much, Bev. Bev cleared up my false King Eclipse memories. I was eclipsing everything. Tommy Knockers, the girl who loved Tom Gordon, and short stories such as Mrs. Jones' Shortcut. And the rain went rolling down the window panes, and the shadows wiggled and squiggled on her cheek and forehead like black veins. Dolores Claiborne. Other famous authors have used eclipses as major plot devices in their works of literature. William Shakespeare used an eclipse as a bad omen in both King Lear and Antony and Cleopatra. John Milton, in his epic poem Paradise Lost, used an eclipse as a metaphor for the fall of Satan, originally Lucifer the Lightbringer. In A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain, the main character saves himself from execution by using the oncoming eclipse to his advantage, convincing the court he could darken the sun forever. As I mentioned, I was wrong about the main eclipse occurring in any other of Stephen King's works. However, Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's Game are related to two other, technically three, novels and one short story. Bear with me as I geek out a little. Warning, of course, here there be very, very minor spoilers. Skip ahead maybe 15 seconds starting now. Jessie, in Gerald's game, thinks that she sees Pennywise. That's it. She actually saw Raymond Jobert, which connects both novels to Sheriff Norris Ridgwick, who's one of the sheriffs of Castle Rock. He appears as a character in both The Dark Half in Needful Things and the novella Sundog, which is collected in Four Past Midnight. And I will, of course, link to all of these in the website entry for this episode. Now, before we move on to Clip's folklore and mythology, quick summaries of both novels for those of you who have no idea of which I speak. No spoilers here. I'm simply sharing information from the hardcover flap from each novel, thanks to StephenKing.com and my own lovely library. Dolores Claiborne. First edition release date, 1993. From the flap. By her own account, she's an old Yankee bitch. Dolores Claiborne. Foul temper, foul mouth, foul life. Folks on Little Tall Island have been waiting 30 years to find out just what happened on the eerie dark day her husband Joe died, the day of the total eclipse. The police want to know what happened yesterday when rich, bedridden Vera Donovan, the island's grand dame sans merci, and Dolores' longtime employer died suddenly in her care. With no choice but to talk, Dolores Claiborne talks up a storm. Everything I did, I did for love, she says. And the spellbinding novel is at once her confession and her defense. Given a voice as compelling as any in contemporary fiction, her story centers on a disintegrating marriage's molten core, where the mind's unblinking eye becomes huge with hate and a woman's heart turns murderous. It unfolds the strange intimacy between Dolores and Vera, 
and the link that binds them. It shows finally how fierce love can be, and how dreadful its consequences, and how the soul, harrowed by the hardest life, can achieve a, achieve a kind of grace. But that is for readers to judge. They will come away with different verdicts for Dolores, perhaps. But once taken inside the dark room of her life, lit by the brilliant intensity of Stephen King's storytelling, they will never forget her. Gerald's Game First edition release date, 1992 From the flat On a warm weekday in October, Jesse and Gerald Burlingame are alone in the bedroom of their main summer house, playing a game that isn't listed in Hoyle's. But suddenly, as Jesse hears the click of the second handcuff locking her to the bedpost and sees her husband looming over her, a nerve snap of recognition tells her that this time, Gerald is playing for keeps. Her next move is furious, violent, and, she is shocked to discover, deadly. Giving up control is scary enough. It is terrifying when there is no one left to give it to. Except that Jesse is not alone. Over the next 28 hours, trapped in a lakeside house that has become a prison, Jesse will come face to face with all the things she has ever feared, and the unlatched back door banging fretfully in the breeze is an open invitation to horror she has never imagined. Inside the darkening bedroom, shadows gather in mute menace, while inside Jesse's head a taunting chorus of voices whispers and shrieks, Women alone in the dark are like open doors, and if they cry out for help, who knows what dread things may answer? Stephen King knows. Nothing he has written before will prepare readers for the challenges of Gerald's game. It's a fiendishly imagined version of No Exit. It's a nerve-wracking excavation of the deepest layers of a woman's fear and courage. It's our foremost literary terrorist exploring what happens when the ordinary routine of one woman's life is suddenly eclipsed by the irrational. Jesse Burlingame's nerves are about to be strenuously tested. So, reader, are yours. When all the normal patterns and routines of a person's life fell apart, and with such shocking suddenness, you had to find something you could hold on to, something that was both sane and predictable. Gerald's Game Worldwide, I found that the themes of myth and folklore concerning eclipses to fall loosely under two themes, consumption and contamination. Both consumption and contamination fall under the literary subgenre, returning to fiction for a moment, of body horror. Body horror deals with body integrity, body autonomy, body structure itself. To quote Bill Gibson at Pop Matters, it's biology unbound. Both Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's Game fall under the subgenre, Gerald's Game much more so. Dolores Claiborne fits more subtly under the themes of motherhood and sexual autonomy, feminist body horror, if you will, but that's not a discussion for today. It seems that total solar eclipses through time and culture have inspired these visceral fears, this body horror, bringing rise to worldwide myths of eclipse as consumption or contamination. As consumer of the sun, the creature is a dragon in Chinese, Indian, Armenian, Tibetan, and Persian myth a frog or toad in Vietnamese, giant serpents according to the Mayans, fire dogs in the separated cultures of Bolivia and Korea, a vampire according to the Tartars of Siberia, and a wolf according to Norse legend. Elsewhere in the world, a demon, a jaguar, or even a werewolf. The most prevalent myth, though, is of a ravenous, bodiless head 
that eats the sun, but then quickly passes it, having no body to digest it. You see the inherent body horror. The sun is consumed, but ejects it out of the decapitated neck of a creature to shine once again. This version is told in India, China, Mongolia, and Siberia. If anyone ever asks you what panic is, now you can tell them. An emotional blank spot that leaves you feeling as if you've been sucking on a mouthful of pennies. Gerald's Game. The most elaborate version of the bodiless devouring head to come down to us is Indian in the Sanskrit poem Mahabharata. And I apologize for my pronunciation. A demon named Rahu tried to steal the nectar of immortality from the gods, but the sun and the moon recognized him for the demon he was. Rahu had started drinking the nectar when the god Vishnu hurled a discus weapon at him, which sliced his neck. Upon this apparent decapitation, Rahu's body disappeared. His head, however, had already consumed the nectar of immortality. And so, in revenge for his new immortal but damaged state, Rahu's head would chase the sun and the moon around the sky. Whenever he caught them, he would take vicious bites. But because he had no body, no stomach, no digestive system, they would soon reappear in their rightful place. As far as contamination, Native Alaskans believed that eclipses were an outward sign of the sun becoming ill, and they would turn over all pots and cooking utensils during to avoid contamination from the sun sickness. This thing was repeated in several cultures throughout the world, with special strictures for pregnant women to avoid food and water consumption or outside exposure during the eclipse, for fear that the sun's illness would be transmitted to the unborn. Both themes of consumption and contamination entwine their way in the darkness back to a primeval human emotion, which plays a role in both Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's game, shame. A Transylvania folktale states that an eclipse means that the sun is turned away in horror from humankind's shameful behavior. The Aztecs believed this as well and would try to right the wrongs and earn the sun's forgiveness through human sacrifice. Colombian cultures would shout promises to the darkened sun that they would be better people in the future, and they would try to prove themselves during the time of the eclipse by working more diligently in their gardens and at their personal projects to prove themselves to the sun so that their shame would be forgiven and the sun would shine again. The hair on the back of your neck's up. You've got goosebumps. It's just absolutely beautiful and at the same time just a little terrifying because there's nothing you can do about this. There's no power on Earth that can stop this. Former NASA aerophysicist Fred Espinak, an authority on calculating the path of eclipses. I hope you've enjoyed this week's short episode. I apologize for it being short, and I apologize for the lateness. Chronic illness waits for no man. But I'm doing my very best to fight it and find my cupcakes. Please support me in my continued efforts by clicking through to Amazon when you make any purchase from the website, theymightbecupcakes.com, by becoming a patron of the show at Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Carla Haunted, all one word, or by checking out my lovely sponsor, the best audio bookstore ever, Audible. My sponsor link is audibletrial, one word, dot com slash mightbecupcakes. And for supporting my show there, you can get a free 30-day trial membership from Audible 
and a free audiobook to keep no matter what. Of course, this week's suggestions for that free book are Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's Game. Both are narrated by Frances Sternhagen, who's a wonderful character actor and has been two king characters, king characters in film. The sheriff's wife, Virginia McCain in Misery, and Irene Repler in the movie version of The Mist. Again, thank you to Bev Vincent for correcting me when I tried to eclipse a great portion of King's work. I will link to Bev's books on the website. Please check them out. Also, I want to give a shout out to a relatively new podcast done by two friends of mine, Tim Scott and Chuck Hawk Waters, Alters Dead Ball. It's a baseball history podcast. This is appropriate because like Stephen King, I too am a Red Sox fan and this is playoff season. So, although neither Jesse nor Dolores could give a fig, having beggar fish to fry during the eclipse, please do listen to Dead Ball, and then rejoin me next week for another episode of There Might Be Cupcakes, because telling you stories makes me happy, and that's my cupcakes right now. How does the light return to the world after the eclipse of the sun? Miraculously, frailly, in thin stripes, it hangs like a glass cage. It is a hoop to be fractured by a tiny jar. There's a spark there. Next moment, a flush of dun. Then a vapor, as if earth were breathing in and out, once, twice, for the first time. Then under the dullness, someone walks with a green light. Then off twists a white wraith. The woods throb blue and green, and gradually the fields drink in red, gold, and brown. Suddenly a river snatches a blue light. The earth absorbs color like a sponge slowly drinking water. It puts on weight, rounds itself, hand, hangs pendant, sails, and swings beneath our feet. Virginia Woolf, The Waves.